I think what we do here is very different than anywhere else. When we design, it has to feel like it belongs on the property, on the site, in Park City, in Utah. It has to feel organic, like it has grown out of the site and the property, and how we are being respectful of the neighbors, and how we're taking advantage of the views, addressing the sunlight, and the weather. We can have weather that goes, you know, you'll have a 120-degree swing just in one day. Welcome to Friends of Build Magazine. I'm your host, Ted Bainbridge. I've been traveling the world and working in publications for 30 years. In 2016, we launched our first issue of Build Magazine, a publication dedicated to high-end home construction, renovation, and the innovative experts that make this possible. This podcast was created to have some fun and explore those who have taken on the challenge of building luxury homes in demanding locations. From navigating logistics and construction to excavating the earth, we want to learn more about these people and how their projects became cover-worthy. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Well, here we are with another episode of Friends of Building Magazine. I'm here with Scott Jaffa, the principal architect with Jaffa Group in Park City, Utah, and super excited to have you on the show, Scott. Well, thank you. Thank you. We did a video with you last year in Deer Valley, and I show that video so many times because what I admire about you most is your attention to detail. You did these ice cream cones, and people go... That is flipping wild. And the, and the attention to detail in the kids' room, if you remember the, the home, mm-hmm. the colors on the ceiling match the color of the carpet, match the color of the hooks. Where do you come up and think about these things? Interesting. I was just in that house um, yesterday afternoon with prospective clients, and they have the same comments you just said, which is your attention to detail is just amazing. Yeah. And... I can't tell you where it comes from. And that house was a tough one to do because everything we picked out for the interiors was done during the pandemic and we didn't get to see anything together until it was installed. So it was a really hold your breath kind of thing and let's let's hope it works. <laughs> and everything but a couple things worked and we took care of those quickly. So how do you gain so much trust with your clients so quickly? Obviously, if you don't, if you can't collaborate with them, and you do everything virtually, it's a completely different experience than if they're physically with you in the home. You know, to me, the best client is one who will just trust me. Like they would trust their doctors or their attorneys. They hire me because they have seen what I do and they know I care about every little detail that goes in the house from the beginning to the end. And I don't leave anything to anybody else. You know, I think when you start leaving details up to um, installers, Mm -hmm. and sometimes they're the lowest common denominator, whether it's the roofer, the concrete guy, you know, you're not dealing with the head of the, you know, the owner of the subcontracting company, you're dealing with, you know, the workers, and they have such a rotation. I I just, it's, it's not okay. And I will go through and look at every single detail. And if it's not perfect why we can do better why settle for average good point 
and my clients, they have done multiple homes and they know what good looks like. And people come to me because they don't want what everyone else is doing. So when you're building and designing a house, first of all, how long does it take you to design, to go through the design process? And then you go for permits and what's the lifespan of that commitment? You're looking at about six months from beginning to um, submitting to the building department for a permit for the design and pulling everything together and working out all of the details. And how long is the process with your clients with the initial consultation so that you can obviously listen to what, what they think they want in the home, and then you've got to relay it down to your, your CAD drawing so that it actually is executed with what their vision is? So getting to know the clients and sitting down with them um, is super important. Um, most clients will give me a program or I'll just sit down and, and get a written program of what they want, which is really just a roadmap of the items they want in their house. And then I will sit and ask them details about every single item on there. And then more, I want to understand how they live, how they use the house, how they use the spaces, um, what they want from the house, why they chose the lot, for example, um, uh, their aesthetic. And then whether they're um, uh, on Pinterest or House um, or just tearing pages out of a magazine, I just want to get an idea of the things that they gravitate to. Ideally, it's nice to go to dinner with them, spend some time with them, just to get to know the interaction of almost who would I go to for questions on certain things. Okay. And, um, you know, for example, the house that... Um, we did the podcast at last year. Yep. Um, you know, I was talking to the clients I was meeting with yesterday and I said, you know, we built a wall in the kitchen and um, the windows were not in the right place. I thought they were in design, but once we put the wall up. I remember that. It, you couldn't see the ski mount. I remember that. And I told the superintendent, I said, we got to take it down and rebuild it. He said, it's already up. We can't do that. I said, well, it's cheaper to do it now than it is later. And this client is spending a lot of money and trusting us to do this right. This is a big deal. So it came down and we moved everything around. I remember when we were in that house and you did tell that story and you, you said, you, I'm going to paraphrase, but I remember it. And that was, you said, well, we have two options. We can either do it now or we can do it later, mm -hmm. but it's going to come down. And now is better than later. Right. <laughs> because what we do is there's not a lot of people that do what we do in our community. There's some good architects. There's some good builders. But as a, as a team, you know, what we do, we're at the top of the pyramid yeah there's no question and and the jaffa group brand here is so incredibly strong what you and your dad have built is amazing so take me back you, you graduated from the university of florida in architecture correct your dad was a phenomenal builder in ponte Vedra beach just south of jacksonville yes and you tell the story that he had retired at obviously a young age and you grabbed him out of retirement and said dad we need to do something together i've now got my degree well, I was in D.C. working, and I'd been up there eight years. Oh, okay, okay. And um, as an architect, and I don't know, I woke up one day, and I was like, I don't want to do this. I was just, I loved what I was doing. I loved living in D.C. I just, I don't know where it came from. I was like, I want more. Did you not want to be an architect, or did you not want to be an architect? If you love D.C., 
You didn't like the style of homes? No, I, I just wanted to do more. Okay. I, I, I knew I always wanted to run my own company and I, architects were always master builders. And somehow in the 20th century, it split off where architects and builders became separate entities. And f what I could see traveling to different job sites um, and seeing what the builders were doing, it's like the architect needs to be intrinsic in the construction process and part of every detail that's going on. Otherwise, it's just a mess or you're just tearing out and putting in and tearing out and putting in. So, you know, I, I really just woke up one day and just called my dad and said, hey, you know, I gave my resignation and um, I was thinking of becoming a builder with you. Would you teach me? And he said, sure, come to Florida. I said, um, I was actually thinking of going to Utah because he had a ski house here. Dead silence. <laughs> and he said, well, I'll tell you what, you move out there. I'll come out, help you for a little bit. And if you like it, great. So I moved out to Utah and he would spend a couple days a month with me. And we were that was it. That was it. And then it turned into a week a month, then two weeks a month, then three weeks a month. And then my mom would come and join him. And pretty soon they moved here full time and then would go back and visit Florida. And then pretty much they sold their house in Florida because they really liked it here a lot more. Okay. So you've been out here 20 years? 25, 26 25. now, I okay. think. Yeah. And your dad definitely is known as the godfather of building in Park City. And he really is still the smartest man I know. And he loves to work and he can work as long as he wants to. And um, he just sees things very differently than I do. And that's why that's we, a great compliment. we have made a great team because, you know, he, we just, we butt heads a lot. And um, I've had clients that say, you guys would make a great reality show <laughs> <laughs> because we just don't hold back our feelings and we will vent it all and then we'll go out to lunch and we're fine. That's awesome. So you must have a super, uh, like I met your dad in Whitefish two years ago at your Builder 20 group, mm -hmm. the group that you get together, I think twice a year. Right. And I think you were in Columbus recently. Correct. And I was impressed with your dad and obviously um, the environment we're in, this house that we were in from one of your other members, Brad from Big Fort Builders, was a spectacular house. And I got talking to your dad and I said, hey, I'm going to be in Park City next week. I want to talk to you guys about this magazine that we've got. And he goes, we stopped advertising magazines about five years ago. And I go, well, let's, you, you might not like it. I think you probably will, but you might not. So if we could sit down with you and Scott uh, for 15 minutes and then you guys can decide, yeah, you know what? I don't like it. No big, no big deal. And that's how we met, and we're honestly so thankful to work with you. And we've got some incredible builders, architects, and, and clients around the country. And Jaffa Group is one of those ones that I look to constantly as a bellwether because you guys are super blunt and honest about your feelings both ways. And our goal as a company is always to improve. And to just tell somebody you do a great job, doesn't really allow them much room to improve. You need constructive feedback. When I'm meeting with clients or I'm talking to clients, it's like, please tell me what you don't like. 
Right. You don't need to tell me how much you like this or love this. That's great. I appreciate it. But if I know what you don't like, I can make it better and I can improve and give you something that's geared exactly for you. So how, you know, I listen to you and I listen to other builders and I'm building a house in Scottsdale with another one of your, your partners, or I don't know what you call your cohorts. Okay. Brad Levitt with AFT construction. He's one of your cohorts. Right. I don't know why more firms aren't an architecture and a builder in one, because one of the comments that I hear, Scott, is it's so much easier if we're all in the same room together. Because then you hear it once from the client, and then you can decipher as a team how to put that plan together so that the client is happiest. And that's how I sell myself when I'm meeting with clients. I talk to them and, and explain that what we do is a holistic approach to building and design. So we start out with the schematic design. We go to the estimator so that what we're designing works with your budget. So when you get a drawing from us, it may be beautiful, but it works with something you can build. Not maybe, it is beautiful, and it will work with your budget. And then the interior designer will start picking finishes that reflect your wants, your desires, the architecture, so that when you walk in, it feels great. Now, do we miss things? Do we have imagine, Scott, in, you miss anything. Do we have things in the office that, you know, don't always align? Yes. But you as a client never know that. Versus trying to put a team together where you have three different people and you have the designer that may not have ordered the tile in time, or you have the architect that didn't put the beam in or the column, or the HVAC contractor comes in and puts the ductwork in and it doesn't reflect the architecture. I will tell you the hours I spend on every job site working with the HVAC contractor to make sure that the ductwork lines up with the architecture. And it is not an easy task with the number of beams and the structure that we have to deal with. But I know there's always a correct and a good solution for everything. And I love to problem solve. You give me a problem, I will find you a great solution. There's always a good solution, aesthetically and functionally. So I love dealing with people that don't tell me your problem, give me the solution. I want to know what the problem is, but here is the answer to the, the issue. And it's not really a problem, it's an issue. Yeah. We deal with issues all the time. That's what we do as builders. You know, we detail our, our drawing sets are 50 pages. We'll miss a detail. But it's easy to figure out what's the goal, how do we solve it? Not every house has the same goal, so it's not going to have the same solution. Some are more budget conscious, some are not. And you just have to keep all of those files open when you're solving a problem. It's definitely a team effort. Okay. The houses that I do, I could not do without the architects, the designers, the superintendents, the project managers, the accountants, the assistants. It, it, it can't happen. I, it, you know, there are times where I don't know what the right answer is, and I don't like what I'm seeing coming off of the other architects' drawing. so we will just go separate. Do you scrap it and start over? We do. I said, I want to see what each one of you can come up with for this. And they do, and we always come up with a good solution. Okay. I like hiring younger architects and younger designers. I think they look at things 
differently. They're not set in their ways. They're not um, maybe jaded or this is how we've been doing it for 20 years. Oh, this yeah. is how we're going to continue. They just, it's always a fresh approach. And I think you get a new eye on architecture and a new design because like everything in the world, it's almost like, I guess, fashion, but it just doesn't change as fast, but things will move and rotate where you go from traditional to transitional to modern to clean where it's going back the other direction. It's just a pendulum that goes back and forth and it moves very slowly. Okay. So, so is it, is it an evolution in, is it a copycat? Is it people like I go back to the, the, the Tuscan and now everything's mountain modern is it somebody created this design. I kind of look at the houses now. They're a little bit more Frank Lloyd Wrightish. I don't like labels or genres because I think what we do here is very different than anywhere else. Okay. And when we design, it has to feel like it, belongs on the property, on the site, in Park City, in Utah. And the way we design, we, it has to feel organic, like it has grown out of the, the site and the property. And how we are being respectful of the neighbors and how we're taking advantage of the views, um, addressing the sunlight and the weather. You know, we can have weather that goes, you know, you'll have a 120 degree swing just in one day. So yeah. what we have to deal with at this elevation and the weather patterns, it, it's, it's tough. And dealing with, you know, all the building codes, earthquake size, you know, it's, it's a lot of coming up with a great aesthetic. I'm finding that uh, a lot of designs, they're like trends. And people will come and like, will bring me pictures of um, houses built in Arizona. Well, those are great in Arizona. Doesn't work here. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, but trying to get the same feel. And that's what I try to dive into. And I think I'm very good at is I see the image you're showing me, but what is it that's really attracting you about that? Is it the 30 foot tall door? Is it the tile floor? Is it the covered roof? What is it that you want out of that space? So you worked on a project, and I don't know if you're finished it with Randy Kurtz down in Naples. I, we did just finished it. Yes. Okay. So how do you, that was just an awesome entry into now you got my brain thinking. So you see these designs from Arizona or Naples or wherever, you're used to building here in Park City. So how do you take the knowledge that you've got here or the different complexities that you've got here? Because Naples, they've got a completely different set of issues. So how do you incorporate your knowledge here and create a masterpiece piece down there? Well, I grew up in Florida. Yeah. So um, the client's a friend of mine, and that was the second home we had done for him after we did one in Deer Valley here. So I was very familiar with he and his family. He did not like any of the architects that he met with or any of the architecture down there. Okay. And he wanted a Florida vernacular style architecture, and I know exactly what that is. Clapboard siding and a tin roof. However, how do you take that and incorporate that style? in a 6,600 square foot house. 
you know, it's, I think we accomplished it. I think we came up with the right materials and the right setbacks and the right massing. And it's on the water, so taking advantage of all the views mm -hmm. and understanding the hurricane codes and the shutters. But again, we approached that house designed just like we approached here. The outdoors areas are as important as the indoor spaces and how the outdoor spaces transition down into the natural environment and coming up into a house so that it feels anchored and part of the property and not just, we put a house here. Houses should be organic and grow out of the site. You shouldn't be able to take a house from this property, put it over on this property or this one. And I've had clients, do you have plans we can look at? Well, no, because every site's different, every client's different, every view's different. And it all, you know, when we start a design, it, it comes with the program drives it, the views drive it, the topography drives it, the neighbors drive it. Um, there are a lot of driving factors. That must have been a blast for you. You know, it was so fun. Yeah. And, you know, it got a little stressful um, because of COVID, not being able to travel. But Oh, you didn't go down there? Um, no. Oh, you didn't? Well, I did go when we first started, right. and then I stopped, and I haven't seen the house completed yet, just pictures, so oh. I think we're going to shoot the house in the fall, Okay. and uh, I'll be down there to take a look at it. Okay. Um, but the images look amazing, and, you know, I, I, it, it's a curse and a blessing, but I can walk into a space, and I find everything that's wrong with it. And I don't go to all the good. I just, I just immediately can pull out everything bad. So the superintendent did not care for that in Florida. He, he needed a little more. This is amazing. You're doing a great job versus me being just very curt and like, why is this here? Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? And, but you know what? We, we learned to, to work. We created a synergy in working together. And, you know, he was a little aggravated that I was so concerned with details on trusses and that I would add more dimensions than he thought were required. And I said, when we finish the house, you'll understand why. And he called and said, I, now I know why you did that, because the inside of the trusses didn't match the outside. The interior roof forms in the rooms were different than the roof on the outside. So we just needed to make sure all of the dimensions were exact. There was no room for error, which is so interesting in houses, whether they're 16,000 square feet or 6,000 square feet, the details are, go down to an inch or a half an inch. Yeah, it's kind of like building a tunnel. I mean, when you build a tunnel, when they built the tunnel in, in France and England, they were able to match it and it was within you know a millimeter. And it's amazing because they were coming at it from both ends. That's an engineering marvel. It, it is. And I, I, will, I tell everybody, if it's less than an eighth of an inch, nobody's going to tell. Eighth to a quarter, possibly. Anything more than that, you better just start over. So I didn't even write this question down, but as I'm listening to you, you're dealing with people that you're not familiar with dealing with down in Florida. Your group here has got to be, I'm assuming because uh, you guys have an incredible brand, is do you deal with the same subs and the same uh, people on each one of your jobs so that they, they know what to expect with Scott and they don't get their feelings hurt like this person who had never dealt with you down in, in Florida? Yes, I do work and with the same subs. And when we bring on a new sub, 
um, I meet with them, I talk to them, I walk through and because what people do for us, I don't believe they do for a lot of other builders. And what I expect is not what other builders will expect. Sometimes, you know, if an electrician has a plan, he'll just go out to the site and he'll just use that as a guideline and put everything in. My plans are dimensioned, they're exact. Everything has to be a specific way. Sometimes we have to go back in and reframe to get the electrical plan to work correctly. But it, that's got to drive you crazy. When clients are spending the kind of money they're spending with us, they shouldn't have to ask for it to be right. Right. It just should be. It just goes without saying. You know, it's an expectation. We just finished a house that's 12,000 square feet, and it was a lot more than the clients wanted to spend. She walked in, and she was actively involved in every detail in this house and is so exact. She said, I didn't realize all of these details were in here. This is spectacular. Thank you. Which, that was great. That, that's what I want to hear, is that I've exceeded your expectations when you walk into the finished product. And a lot of clients, like, they get so nervous when they walk in and they see cardboard on the floor and the windows aren't cleaned yet. You'll never be ready. You'll never be ready. Like, that's half a day's work. <laughs> so how, what's your capacity? If, if you're this involved in all the details, how many homes can you build at one time? So we're, Three? we're about eight. Oh, you can do that many? You know, I've got a great team. Okay. And they all know what to look for and what I expect. And they're problem solvers. And that's what I like. I, I don't want a, a, a superintendent who has an issue and doesn't know how to fix it or doesn't understand the process. Like the fastest, cheapest, easiest way isn't always the best solution. Right. What is the aesthetic? What, how does it impact everything else? If you raise this window, what does it do over here? There's a lot of things that you have to have lots of, think of every single layer. It's like a domino effect. You change one thing in a house, it's going to affect something else down the road. So there are, are certain things, and I'm a firm believer that you mentioned this, the, the cheapest way isn't necessarily the best way. It's like when you go, and I know you, I think you love shoes because every time I see you, you've got a different, I mean, you, you dress impeccably, but your shoes and your jeans are always perfect. Well, you know, in fairness, um, I couldn't shop during COVID, so I got a uh, tennis shoe fetish. Oh, so you did? I started buying tennis shoes because they just fit when they came. <laughs> so it was super easy. I, uh, uh, we actually have a client in Scottsdale and if you haven't seen this, I'm going to show it to you. I'll email it to you. They've got a shoe closet and each shoe and they're, I think they're all Jimmy Choo shoes. I'm not a shoe nut. Um, but each one is on a piece of plexiglass. It's lit and it's got a closet of it, of it, of its own. And everybody I show it to, and this house is a magnificent home. Everybody I show it to, they just go, that is awesome. Well, when you're spending upwards of $5,000 on a pair of Jimmy Choo's, yeah. they should be showcased. <laughs> you know, we have done closets with, you know, built-in cabinetry, and we have displays that are lit for collections of Hermes handbags or Bottega Veneta. And women, like, take these things very seriously. And even tennis shoes now are upwards of $1,000, and they, they're pieces of art. 
And why shouldn't, why does it have to be just a closet where you just throw stuff in? Why can't it be a dressing room where you walk in and it's a beautiful space with a chandelier and a, a, a bench in the middle or a dresser? And those things are super important. So that's one of the articles that we're going to do this year is on closets. Because closets really have become a defining part of a lot of these exquisite homes. So if you've got photos, we want them because we want, and we want to talk to you about creating that editorial piece that goes along with the incredible closets that people are building. Absolutely. When I meet with clients, I talk to them. I said, I need to know the number of shoes you have, the number of bags you have, uh, long hanging, short hanging. Do you hang your pants long? Do you fold them? What is the drop on your shirts? Um, what is the drop on your shirts? Because that is important. <laughs> You're you right. Know, I have women reach, so I know what their reach is. So I know how to put holes so that it works for them. And every client's different. You know, do you do your own laundry? Do you want to wash and dryer in your closet? Do you not? Um, do you want to sit down and do your makeup, jewelry drawers? Do you roll your belt, scarves? You know, the details go on and on and on. They never stop. Because when you move into the house and you've spent this much money, mm-hmm. and it's a lot of money to do a house now in Park City, it should be as close to perfect as it can be. So when your dad was building, what kind of houses was he building in Ponte Vedra Beach? It's a beautiful area. So he was building, he started in Savannah. Okay, yeah. And then Jacksonville and the beaches. And he did more tract housing. Okay. And he was very um, concerned with costs and keeping the cost down and making it affordable so that more people could buy. And when interest rates hit 18%, he changed his model and did zero lot line houses before anyone else was doing zero lot line houses. So he was able to morph and change with the environment. And he went from apartments to single family neighborhoods to zero lot lines. And he was just done one day. Okay. So then, then you, you start building these houses in park city, which have got to be a blast. Being an architect, this is a great place to practice my craft. It really is because people appreciate what we do. They really do. So what do you see, we talk about closets, what do you see happening in the industry in the next five, 10 years? Because we're only limited by our imagination. And obviously, you know, we use the closets as an example, but I remember the driveway that you had to kind of configure of that house in Deer Valley, which wasn't an easy solution for you. Right. But it turned out fantastic. But it wasn't a cookie cutter. You would, you didn't, oh, let's just do this. I know that it created a ton of stress trying to figure out how to get the cars up to the garage. Right. It's, (laughs) you know, it's a lot to do that. And, um, but every element has to work. You know, if that driveway didn't work, if the turn into the garage or backing out of the garage, that would have been the, the pinch point on that house. Mm -hmm. Clients would have been so unhappy. So I put my, myself in to the client's place and I walk through the whole house, how you use it, how do you live? You know, I, I was meeting with clients. It's like, well, tell me what the space is you like between 
cabinets or counters. Okay. Do you want to do one step, two steps? She never thought about it. She has a collection of aprons. So we're going to do hooks in the pantry for her to hang all of her aprons in and possibly even, you know, display them in the kitchen. Um, you know, people like houses that live comfortably. They don't want separate living rooms, separate dining rooms. People just want to gather with their friends and family. And when I'm designing, I think of people moving and spaces. I don't like dead ends. I think of if people are over, how do we move and flow and so that it works. You don't want a bottleneck in a house. You know, wine rooms. Yep. Do you want to display? Do you collect or do you drink what you get? There's different approaches. Okay. Um, you know, the dining room, is that something you, you use? You, when we're designing the houses, it's how do you design a house for just the couple to use? And then when their family and friends are there and there's 20 or 50 people in the house so that it works both ways and it's comfortable both ways. You know, when we're designing, you know, rooms, we're also thinking about ceiling heights so that the volume isn't cavernous and you feel comfortable. And didn't even think of that because it's, it's really yeah. about the space and the volume. And, you know, when most people walk into a space, it's, it, the things that usually attract them are proportions and light. Those are like the two key elements, in my opinion, okay. of what makes people happy. All right. Talk to me about lighting, because lighting is something that I'm learning about, and it really does make such a huge difference in a house. Lighting can make or break the architecture. Yes. And how you're highlighting things, you know, whether it's, you know, with the you know, advent of LED lighting everywhere, it's, it has been a godsend, honestly, because we can do lights that were unimaginable five or 10 years ago. Okay. And do step lights that are just continuous or under cabinet lighting in bathrooms that oh. we set to a, you know, a, to come on at only 20% on motion centers. So when you go in at night to use it, they just come on or accent cabinetry or stair risers or fireplaces or underneath bunk beds. But it, it's so nice to be able to put lighting to whether it's in the floor shining up underneath a staircase or on a rock wall so you can see the texture. Um, I always go over with clients. What artwork do you have? Is there anything particular that we need to shield from light or highlight? Um, so there's, it just goes on and on and on. Now, do you use a lighting engineer or is that you? We will use lighting designers and I have used different lighting designers and they are fantastic. And what they do, I cannot do, Okay. but I think I'm pretty good at, at lighting. But if we're looking for something very specific, I will call in a lighting designer. Yeah, it's amazing. When you look at a house that's properly done, you can tell that the details are not overlooked. And it really does give you a completely different vibe when you walk in the front door, as opposed to the husband and wife just doing it themselves, thinking that they can pull it off. And some people can pull it off. I just think it's such a rarity. And if you're spending the kind of money that most people in Park City spend, hire an architect. It is the best money spent. You yeah. will save money down the road. 
there's no reason to be compromising on items that, you know, you have a small delta on in the big picture of the house when you're spending three, four, five, ten, twenty million dollars to build a house. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not that much different to have a trained designer, architect, put it all together so there is nothing left to chance. The people that are building with you, and obviously you're at the top of your game, are they building for themselves as a primary residence or is this their third, fourth, fifth home? Both. Okay. It's, it's really interesting. A lot of people are making Park City their primary residence. Um, others are using this as it's their second or their third home. But they expect the same. Everyone is looking at most of their houses as legacy houses and how they're going to leave it to their children and how their children are going to use it and how we design it so that they're only doing it once, that we design trying to think about durability, style, simplicity, what is going to last time. Okay. For example, you know, there's some things in the 60s that I think are just fantastic. You know, orange front doors, like they're great. The big brass doorknobs in the middle. They might great. be great for some people. I got red hair. Orange is not great for anything. And, <laughs> and, but again, Tuscan, it, when it's done right, there's, you can do any style at any time, almost anywhere, but it just needs to be done right. And I think there's so many things that aren't done right. And the example I can give is the Seagram building in New York that was do- designed by Mies van der Rohe is the most spectacular piece of modern architecture ever. The way it meets the ground with the fountains and it steps down the hill and the I-beams exposing the structure on the outside. However, every single architect in the world was able, they duplicated that, but they did it so poorly, so awful that you see all these terrible glass buildings that were built in the 60s and 70s that tried to mimic that but didn't. Or you look at the Lever House on Park Avenue, which is just spectacular. Nobody does open space like that and leaves voids in buildings like that is. And if you do something right and design it and think through every detail, it will stand the test of time. So do you you obviously look at stuff everywhere you travel. You you must look at it through the prism of your architecture. I don't know what people do when they travel if they're not architects. <laughs> Fair enough. But it's when I, you mentioned, and, and I'm not an architect, but I, I've been up the Empire State Building several times, and I look at what they built in the 30s, and I'm just impressed that that building is still iconic 100 years later. Because it was designed right. It was thought through. It is the, if you think about a skyscraper, yeah. that's what comes to mind. Yes. And it always will. Have you ever been to Newport, Rhode Island? I have. So we did a tour, now this is probably 15 years ago, but of the Vanderbilt Mansion, 138,000 square feet, and it wasn't their biggest one, and downtown near the Plaza Hotel in, in Manhattan, I think they had a whole city block, and I think their mansion was 200,000 plus. Right. 
And I just look at them, Scott, and, and like I said, I don't, not through an architect's prism, but through somebody who appreciates architecture, and it's staggering. And once again, they're 100 years old. The level of detail oh. put into those, that's what we as a company try to recreate today with the technology and materials we have and the aesthetics and the functionality that people are wanting that in a hundred years, these houses will still be standing and still done right. So is there any project that you think of that, it, and it could have been your biggest challenge that you overcame, or it could have been just a total blast to do that you think of and you go, that was, looking back, that was awesome. Every project is a challenge. Um, and. I think more challenges, the more interesting and the more enjoyable the project is. One of the toughest design that I was presented with is I had a flat seven acre lot with a one and a half acre building envelope, no trees, nothing. Clients gave me their program. I met them. We talked everything. I didn't know where to put my pencil down on the paper first because there was nothing driving it. There was no topography. The view was everywhere there it was like uh, it i didn't know where to start sometimes i can have a design just meet with a client and i know exactly what i'm doing immediately i just completed a house last year for a client i met them 10 years ago i told them what i wanted to do they came back i drew it up they said this is exactly what you told us you wanted to do 10 years ago i said it's the right solution and my view has not changed on that and the house is amazing. And they trusted me enough. They wanted something transitional. And they asked me, if this were your house, what would you do on the outside? Yeah. So I said, give me a week. And I came back with something very modern. They said, we love it. We'll take it. And this was on the flat, seven-acre, simple, yes. easy, blank canvas. So it's... What I like, what I do is... Every job is different. It's like something new every day. And it's so enjoyable coming to work and so much fun because there's always a new problem to solve. And I love solving problems. How do we make this right? You know, I can look at an elevation or a rendering or a 3D model and I can say, there's something not right about that. We can't send it out. I don't know what it is yet, but there's something not right. And it's not that there's a set of rules that I work with. It's how does that make you feel? And does it feel like it's balanced? And is it the right solution? And sometimes we will just go through iteration after iteration after iteration and after iteration till it feels right. Because I, I know there's a, a right solution to everything. And sometimes I'm just not seeing it. Well, you definitely are one of the more interesting people I ever talked to because of the way your brain thinks, and it never shuts off. I don't know if that's a curse or a blessing. It's, it's, it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the world that you live in, and, what, and it's got to be so gratifying to be able to go around and go, okay, well, that's a house that we did 10 years ago or whatever, and you go, it's still a cool house. You know, I did a house that we built in 2012. It was my house, my personal house. And it was... Was the client tough? You know, 
it was a hard house. <laughs> it, it wasn't that easy because both houses on each side were, were not terribly attractive. So I had to create a courtyard in the front and a courtyard in the back. And it, it was a sculpture with the roof lines and butterfly roofs and exterior steel, I really went outside of my comfort zone. And actually the comfort zone of Park City, it was one of the first like over the top contemporary homes in the city at, when it was built and designed. And it has previously sold twice since I sold the house. And the newest clients came to me and wanted to do an addition onto the house. And I had to de respectfully decline because I said, this house is perfect. You, what you want to do to this house, it's, it would ruin the vibe. It, it proportionally it's, this is a, a piece of sculpture. You would be much better suited with somebody else because I can't give you what you want because I, I spent so much time. And I do that with almost every property that it, it is so perfectly proportioned and designed. Um, I had a client on the seven acre parcel. They where there was too much shade, uh, sun in their backyard and they wanted to do shade. So I came up with a couple sketches. I showed it to him. I said, I'm going to tell you, don't do any of these. I don't like any of them. I'm showing them to you because this is all I could come up with. Your house was not designed to have a covered roof over the patio off the great room. If you want one, we should do a new house because it was designed so perfectly the way it was. And and what'd they say to you? They bought a new house. Did they really? And they actually bought one of my houses, and we're in the process of gutting it and putting it back together. And they said the only reason we bought that house was because you designed it and built it, which is... That's got to be heart rent. Uh, like it, It's great. And I, this is the fourth house I've done for the same people. And this guy's, uh, he's a tough one. And he, he was interesting. When I first met him, he said, just so you know, I've sued every builder I've ever worked with. Oh, great. <laughs> and I, I said, you know what? I'm going to be the first one that you don't sue. And we have disagreements, but there's always a solution. It doesn't have to be adversarial. Right. Ever. Like, it's fun. You should enjoy it. You shouldn't be... Like, it, it's, it's teamwork. Like, I can't do the house without you as a client. And you can't do it without me. And I can't do it without my team, for sure. So it's, it's a great synergy. And... There's always two solutions. There's mine and there's yours. It's your house. It's your money. Yep. As long as you walk in and say, this is amazing. I've done my job right. Well, and obviously, I'm going to guess that because you and your dad work so well together and don't agree on everything, it makes it easy to have a conversation with a client like that. And it doesn't have to be personal. It's just, let's have a meeting of the minds and come at it from different approaches. Right. I've told designers, architects, don't agree with me. Like, I, I don't need that. Like, I, I don't need the, for you to tell me I'm good or you like something. I want to know if you don't like it, tell me and tell me to my face. I might not always agree with you, Yeah. but I want to hear it because I don't always see the best solution. And sometimes I have blinders on and you're going to have a better solution. And I think that's how I've gotten to be so good is that I'm open-minded to hear from other architects and designers to know that I might not be the best. I might not always have the best solution, but I know how to get to it. 
So you've got incredible clients and they've done incredibly well for themselves. I'm going to assume that most of your clients are not trust funders. They've actually worked for a living and created their wealth. Correct. So with that, I'm going to guess you've got some headstrong clients. Yes. What do you learn from them? I learn as much from clients as they will learn from me. You know, I had a client and she went to RISD, Rhode Island School of Design. Okay. And she has such a great aesthetic and art. And she just, she let me run. And, you know, she would come back and she would send me details. And they were like, like she went to the Tucson Stone mineral show or okay. stone show. Sure. I know she came back with these huge slabs of amethyst that were just sliced and polished. And she said, design me a table, coffee table for these. And I pulled images and showed her some things that I really liked from, that Paul Evans from the 70 had designed and she loved them. So we originally went to bronze and the weight and the cost was too heavy that we found somebody to design them in steel that looked like bronze. And I, you don't get clients like that a lot. And she, everything is like artistically designed or one-off pieces okay. that we found in galleries. And it was a fun, fun project. And we had a great time. We still do. She'll like email me, have you seen this or have you seen this? And we'll go back and forth. I really enjoy spending time with her. Like when I'll just go up, I'll just sit down and chat with her. So do you have any, do you stay in touch with a lot of your clients? I'm friendly with all of I my would think clients, most of them. like I like them. They're like super nice. Yeah. They're, you know, they're tough, but again, there's always a solution for everybody. And I love what I do. And I always want to show houses and photograph them. And hopefully they're just as proud as I am. So when you mentioned that they're tough and I always find that, that especially with what we do, no sometimes is a really good answer to somebody's comment. And while it is their money, there are certain things that you, like what you were saying, and I love, it's easy in our conversation. I admire you more because I'm understanding you more and I understand more how your brain works, even though um, I'm not, like I said, I'm not an architect, so I don't know the functionality of stuff. But when you told those people, yeah, you can't add that, I won't do it. They've got to stand back and go, huh, that's really interesting because nobody ever says no to me. That happens a lot. A lot. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's also interesting. I had a client that she put black carpet in her basement. And I was, she also worked for SOM in New York before she moved here. And she puts herself together and has a great aesthetic. And I was like, okay, I'm going to learn something from this woman. Never in a million years would I have thought black carpet in a basement would look great. Oh my gosh. It is spectacular. Oh, come on. Spectacular. I was like blown away. So, you know, it's that synergy that you, you get with people and, and having an open mind always. And what I tell my clients is I say, should I do this? Should I not do this? If you do it right and don't cut corners, Everyone will appreciate it. It will hold its value. Somebody will see it. I promise you, every client is exactly like you. They have lots of money. They have worked hard. They travel the world. They know quality from not quality. They will walk in and they will know if you cut corners. They'll just, you can feel it and you can tell. Do it right. You have one shot at it. Yeah. If you 
don't have enough money, then, you know, let's carpet the main floor. Let's do Formica counters. I mean, do the things that are easy to change or add. You can't change the windows. You can't change the electrical. You can't change the plumbing easily. So do those things right. Do the exterior right and come back in later. You know, sometimes there is a budget. That B word is not always a nice word, but it comes into play. But then you look at the delta. What's the delta difference of doing a little bit more? Well, you mentioned windows and windows now. I look at homes that had those, you know, curved walls and they've had those small windows. And once again, you're going back 20 years. And now you look at these homes and these magnificent windows and it completely changes the whole vibe of a house. It does. It, it literally brings the outside in and that's what people want right now. They want to see the outside and they don't want to frame the exterior view anymore. It'd be hard to believe that we're going to go away from that. But like you said, the pendulum will probably swing back and who knows? Well, I have a project on our horizon that we have a contract from a client. They want something very traditional on the front, but when you go around the back, they want it all glass and contemporary. So that's going to be a fun one to design something very formal and more traditional up front, but open it up and glass doors and sliding walls in the back to the view. Guaranteed you'll pull it off. And I'm looking forward to it. So I've got a couple of, uh, in the last few minutes, I've got a couple of questions. And this has been, Scott, you're, I really enjoyed this. Is what have you, you've, you've got an incredible history. You guys have built, you and your dad have built an incredible team. What are you most proud of? And it could be personal, it could be professional, but what, what is Scott's legacy? What is Scott most proud of right now? My daughters. Love that. You know, I take on a limited number of jobs because I'm going to be with my kids. The only reason I do what I do is to have the life I have to spend time with my kids. And, you know, I, I could work 24 hours a day and my kids already think I work too much now. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's just finding that, that good balance between work and family. And I adore my kids and I'm only going to get one shot at it. Yeah. And I don't want to miss anything ever with them. And I spend as much time as, you know, they don't understand why I pick them up at five at school and I don't pick them up at three thirty when other parents do. It's like, well, we'll find a happy medium. Yep. We spend a ton of time together as a family and you'll never regret that. I know I won't. And that's all I've ever been told from everybody I know. Yeah. I, uh, I was fortunate. I grew up in a very nice area of Toronto and too many of the dads were presidents, vice presidents of companies, and their solution was, here's a hundred bucks, here's 200 bucks, you know, go have some fun. Instead of what they really wanted, they wanted dad's time. Right. And, or they wanted mom's time. And back when I was growing up, it was kind of that transition area where a lot of moms stayed at home, dads would work, and then it was kind of mom started to work. And I just think that at the end of the day, all the problems in the in the country could be solved if parents were parents. So agree one hundred percent. Yeah, it's just spending more time with your kids and listening to them. Yeah, and it's okay to say no to your kids. Oh yeah, absolutely. They need to hear no. You know, everything's not yes. We have to work. There is no twelfth place prize. It's okay to fail. Coming to work on Monday is 
is a relief. I understand what I do. I understand architecture, building, raising kids. Oh my gosh, there is no roadmap. <laughs> there is no rule book. It is like every day is different. It's like, oh my gosh, all these feelings and emotions. And what do you mean you're not listening to me? What do you mean? You you're going to talk to me that <laughs> it's like, wow. And how to maintain that even keel with them and make them understand right from wrong and respect. And yeah, it's. And they don't, they don't care that you just finished this $15 million house and it's a magnificent home. Oh. They just care that you listen to them. That's it. They don't want the phone ringing yeah. when I'm home. They don't care if it's a client or not. I was, um, you mentioned that I was, I was out with a friend of mine and this guy's done extraordinarily well. He was a banker. He owned a few banks and he's from Oklahoma and he got into the oil business and, and he lives, he's got one of his homes is at desert mountain. We go out for dinner in Scottsdale. We go out for dinner and I've got my phone with me cause I'm checking the scores while the four of us are having dinner. And he goes, um, Ted, he goes, what's so important on your phone? Well, I was just checking the scores. And he and his wife got up to leave. And I go, where are you going? And he goes, well, when we wanted to have dinner with you, and if the scores are important, we want you to do what's important for you. And let us know when the scores aren't important to you because we'd love to have dinner with you. Mm -hmm. And then he sent me a quick video. And I'm going to send the video to you because it's honestly, the phone, it will be there. But our conversation this is more important than anything that's going to pop up on your phone. And our kids, they, they could learn a thing or two from it because their friends and their phone having quality time. It's okay. Like I play cards, even my, my wife and I, we've been married 33 years. We play cards with our kids still and they're 29 and 27. Why? Cause when you're playing cards, you're interacting, you're laughing, you're having fun right. and it's time as opposed to there's nothing that important on your phone. I have always sat down and we have breakfast every morning. I love it. And they get a good breakfast. It's not cereal. And we always have family dinner every night. And you know what? Phones aren't at the table. Ever. And it's great. I, I love it. And, you know, they have phones now. And it's, it's tough because it's how they communicate. Yeah teaching them when you can have it, when you can't have it, and what's right, what's not right, and the difference between work and socializing, and how you can use it as a tool versus a toy. Right. So it's, it's all learning, and they follow by example. When you say it's all learning, are you, uh, are you talking about yourself or them? I'm both. talking about both, <laughs> yes, because I need to be reminded of it too. So my last question, because I always ask everybody this, um, my wife and I, we immigrated 20 years ago and became Americans three years ago. This is the greatest country in the world, and we feel blessed and fortunate to live in America. What's the American dream and American excellence mean to Scott Jaffa? And to your daughters, by the way, because that's really the more, more important thing is how do we transfer that mindset onto them? I have told my daughters... They can be anything they want. Mm -hmm. I said, I am giving you all of the tools. You're going to the best schools. You are spending time with your parents. You have the best of everything. 
might not be monetarily, but I'm giving you these tools. You can take them and run with them and do whatever you want. It, you can be whoever you want. I, where I am today, I, you know, I know I'm here because of what my parents did yep. and what my dad did. But, you know, they were straight up with me. It's like, I want you to enjoy your life and I'm going to spend my money so I can see you enjoy your life. And if I don't leave you anything when I die, so be it. And that's the way it should be. Like I, it, it, it's a gift if I get it, but yeah. I am so grateful for everything my parents have taught me, everything they have pushed me to be and to be better. And I will tell you, I push back hard and I forge my own path. What I'm doing is not at all what my parents would have selected for me to do. Actually, my dad didn't want me to be an architect. He didn't? He wanted, he's, no. A doctor or an attorney or a builder, because at that time, the architect was the lowest paid person he hired. Um, but he didn't, also didn't think architecture was a, he, did, he didn't respect it as a, as a trade. Wow. So I, again. Bucked the system. I bucked the system. I showed him. And now he appreciates what I do. But, you know, it just keeps going and growing. So what we did last year isn't what we're doing this year. So what we did on that house isn't what we're doing on this house because it just keeps morphing and changing, which is why I like what I do. It's always different. It's not just coming in and pushing paper and doing the same thing day in and day out. It's like, this is fun. It is fun. And I really enjoy what I do. There's one thing that I, I would impart on young people, and that is enjoy the struggles because they make the best stories. That's where you find out who you are. And if everything just fell into your lap, you would have no respect for, like, you wouldn't appreciate anything. And, you know, my dad's 81. He'll be 80. Is he 81? He is 81. And he still works. I said, Dad, why don't you get a house in, like, Palm Springs or go on a cruise for a couple months? He said, why? I like what I do. It keeps me active. It keeps my mind sharp. I'm, and he's good at it. I said, whatever you like. So, you know, he, he does what he wants and that's great. And he has the ability to do it, which is even better. You know, a lot of people at that age don't. Right. And he is sharp as a tack still. Well, I thank you greatly for taking time to talk to us today. Thank you. I, I appreciate really, it. really enjoyed it. And I look forward to a long relationship with Jaffa Group. You guys are awesome. Fantastic. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find everything discussed in this episode and more in our show notes below. I'm Ted Bainbridge, and you've been listening to Friends of Build Magazine podcasts.